This Future Construct podcast episode is supported by Applied Software. Applied Software is on a mission to transform industry by empowering their clients and championing innovation with real-world expert consultants. So visit asti.com, it's A-S-T-I.com, and please let them know that we here at Future Construct and BIM Designs sent you. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Future Construct podcast. I am your host, Amy Peck. We have a fantastic guest today, James Benham, who is the CEO and co-founder of JB Knowledge. But it does not end there, not by a long shot. He is an entrepreneur. He's a technologist. He's a speaker. He's also a pilot. He's been doing his own podcast for uh, over six years He's been a city councilman. He's on the board of regents at Texas Southern University, and he is the father of two lovely daughters. Welcome, James. And what's crazy is I missed a lot of things. I had to just (laughs) use there. (laughs) Yeah. How's it going? It's so so good to be on your show, and uh, I'm excited to geek out on uh, on technology with you. Uh, Of course, you and I are both here in Texas, and we're both Texas transplants. I came from Louisiana 24 years ago. It took you a little little while longer to wise up and get down here, but uh, <laughs> I'm excited that you moved to uh, to Austin, only an hour and a half from me uh, a few months ago. So welcome to Texas. Thank you so much. I, I'm, I'm very excited to be there. I, I'm not sure that all of Texas is, is thrilled to have all of the New Yorkers and you know, Californians, um, you know, just descending upon their fine state. But, um, you know, we are going to do our best not to screw things up. So, yeah, what we say is, uh, you know, you, you came here for what it is. Don't uh, don't try and don't try and turn it into where you're leaving. You know, so that's uh, <laughs> exactly. that's that that's the thing. I, and I've, I've, I've I'm a transplant, too. So I got out. I, I love Louisiana. I love where I grew up. But Texas is the land of opportunity and low taxes and uh, great tacos and barbecue and uh, like a million other things. And so uh, I have fallen in love over the last 24 years with this great state. And I'm excited to still be a, a pretty active part of it. And I'm, I'm excited that, uh, you know, technologists and that this has become a technology hub. That's exciting for me because I, I was I started a company, a tech company here 20 years ago when this was not where you started tech companies. So it's exciting to, to see that happen. Yeah. So let's let's start there. So what prompted the move? Because, yeah, Texas was not, you know, no. the tech hub it is now. Yeah, I uh, was born and raised in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and have I have awesome parents, like really, really, really great parents. And so I wasn't trying to get away from my parents. In fact, it was the opposite. I was kind of trying to pull them to Texas with me. I uh, was never successful there. They still live in Baton Rouge and th- thankfully they're still still alive there. Um, they were a good deal older than me when I was born. My dad was 41 when I was born. And so uh, I do have older parents, but uh, they always encouraged me to do everything that I was interested in. And so you, you name it, I got interested in it as a kid. And that totally carried forward through the rest of my life. And, and when you look at my resume and you look at what I've, what I've been busy at uh, through college and since college, it definitely 
It definitely is uh, um, because my mom always told me to chase after whatever was interesting and uh, go go and explore the world. And so I came over to Texas when I was 18 to be in the Corps Cadets at Texas A&M. I thought I wanted to be a Navy officer and I was a Navy midshipman. So I was in the ROTC program for four years there and had a chance to commission. Uh, this is before 9-11 when Bill Clinton was president, chose it was a different military. It was a different time. There weren't a lot of jobs and it wasn't a big demand being in the military. And so I uh, decided to intern with a, a big accounting firm called PricewaterhouseCoopers. And I did two internships with them as an undergrad and grad student. Uh, got my undergrad and master's in business from A&M while I was in the Corps and just fell in love with Texas and Aggies. And Aggies are, you know, we put the cult in culture at Texas A&M. You know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's a very, very, very tight-knit group, uh, even though it's a very big group. And um, I just couldn't see myself going to work for a really big company with 158,000 employees. And so uh, when I was a senior, I went to my dad and I said, hey, I want to start a software company. Will you, uh, will you loan me a few thousand bucks? And uh, it, was, it, took, it took about five, five grand <clears throat> and uh, decided to start JV Knowledge. I went to one of my high school buddies, Sebastian Costa, who was from Argentina. He's an exchange student from there. And I said, hey, I'm starting a software business. I know you just graduated. Do you want to come work with me? And the rest is kind of history. You know, we've spent 20 years building software. And uh, but but the origin story is it was better than the internship I had. And that's all I needed. Uh, 9-11 happened right, right after I decided to start the business. And it had me seriously second guessing my decision to start a business uh, in the middle of the dot-com collapse and the 9-11 economic collapse and everything else that happened 20 years ago, but decided to stick with it and uh, build something great. In 02, we went to Argentina and opened an office there. And about a decade later, 12 years later, we went to South Africa and opened an office there. And we got into uh, insurance and construction. I can tell the rest of the story later, but that was kind of the origin story. It was just, I wanted to work for myself and have a chance to travel internationally and have fun and build technology and uh, this has been the vehicle that has let me and now, you know, 250 other people that work for me uh, chase after geeking out every day. That is fantastic. So apparently your parents didn't tell you you weren't supposed to do everything you were interested in. <laughs> yeah, because I just kind of went after it all at once. I, I have a... <laughs> you didn't get that memo. Um, yeah. My wife says I have a really bad case of FOMO and it's fear of missing out because I just like to do everything in the last couple of years where... I haven't been able to travel and I haven't been out and about. Uh, I took it as an opportunity to learn some more skills. I was already a private pilot and an instrument pilot. I went and got a commercial rating. I went and got some type ratings. I uh, learned to play the guitar and tackled piano and I started jujitsu. And I, I was like, it was crazy. It was, I mean, I, I really think that, you know, life is, is short. It's so precious and time is so precious. And uh, we've got to just max out every single day, even if it, uh, you know, a good day for me is I go to bed exhausted because I mean, just exhausted. I usually sack out about midnight and I wake up at six in the morning and, and I, and I take a one 15 minute nap during the day. And the rest of the day is build tech, sell tech, go fly things, uh, you know, go play some, I, play, I do at least an hour of playing music every day, hang out with my daughters. But I mean, it's, that's what I love about the technology business is that you you have a this endless palette of things to go chase after. I love that, and, I, and you know, I think actually that's a really good lesson because I, I, maybe I've, I've I've focused too much on. I bring this up all the time. I, I have a, a thing with Nextdoor that people are spending 
all of this time whining about really, really unimportant things on next door. And here you are learning to play the guitar. And my point <laughs> is, couldn't you use this time in a more, I don't know, functional yeah. way or just something that would make your life better instead of trying to point out to other people things that are annoying you, but then here I am right now whining about it. So yeah, well, but 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 it's, it's the way it is, and I I include this in every presentation I do. I speak at construction and insurance and technology conferences all over the world. I've gotten to travel all over the world. My 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 my, my kind of side speaking career has been just really exciting because I love meeting total strangers and I love walking into a room where I know nobody and walking out with ten friends, right? And, and something that I've learned is there are two types of people. There's chefs and there's food critics. And, and most people want to be food critics because it's easy, it's easy, and it's easy, right? It requires very little skill to be a critic. It requires very little effort to be a critic. And it requires very little creativity. And so everybody wants to be a critic. But very few people want to go through the training and the reps to be a chef to be great at doing something, to, to, to rep it out until you've just dominated this. We all, I mean, you know, it always blows my mind when people will say, well, I've always wanted to do that. Well, why don't you do it? I mean, you, you, you love music. You, you don't, you can't sing. Okay. Maybe you can't sing. And I, I recognize that, you know, that's something you can't control, but but guitar took me three months. I mean, but I repped out. I mean, it was an hour every day on YouTube. I learned it. I mean, and I, I couldn't leave the house. So I was just on YouTube for three hours a day, <laughs> two hours a day, repping out chords. But it's, it's a, I think when we look at our time and when we're looking at innovation too, you know, just to tie this back to technology and innovation, every minute you spend in your office, you can either be wasting time or making time. Right. And, and you have to look at it from that perspective. And if you're going to sit down and watch TV, sit down and watch TV with a purpose. It can be recreational. Like right now, I'm going through the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe in order of chronology, not in order the movie was released. So I can try and stitch the whole universe together because there's a lot of cultural references to Marvel I've been missing out on because I'm obsessed with Star Trek. But I've really found that I love Marvel and it's actually unhinging my sci-fi brain and my sci-fi brain and my creative brain are close cousins. And so it always gets my juices flowing whenever I watch sci-fi. And so that's just one of those things, like even your recreation can have a, a really cool purpose while you're having fun. You know, it, it, it has a goal. And uh, even if that goal is entertainment to lead to more entertainment, uh, it's better than, than it's better than being a critic. I mean, everything's better in my opinion than being a critic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's just no good reason to, to, you know, be putting just all of this whining and, and negative thought process out there. It doesn't really do anybody any good. And really, does it make you feel better? No, but, but learning to play guitar can make you feel better or, you know, again, watching all the marvels. So, you know, I, I you mentioned sci-fi, I think it's, it's, it is very fitting. And I think that, you know, we, it, it, at least to a lot of what we're just talking about is it's that I think people need to start getting more involved in technology, not necessarily as a career, but just understanding what the capabilities are, because there is now a, not only a lot of fear around, you know, automation and robots taking over our lives and, you know, what AI, you know, can possibly do. And there are some dangers to that. But again, instead of sort of being a, a pundit on the sidelines, sort of complaining about, you know, this doom and gloom and this dystopian future, 
you know, it's interesting that we look at these, you know, sci-fi stories and then we end up sort of building that version of the future because we just don't take the time to think of anything else. And so I'm curious where you see that line of sci-fi kind of, you know, influencing technological advances. Yeah. You know, I I gave a speech last week or two weeks ago at the AGCIT conference in Chicago, where I was talking with a bunch of builders who were in IT uh, about the future of robotics called it rise of the robots. And, um, I believe the future looks more like Wally and less like Terminator. You know, people in general get more and more and more leisure time and do less and less and less work over the last 200 years. So since our great, great grandparents, we work now as a society 50% fewer hours per week than our great, great grandparents did. 50% fewer hours. Uh, you know, when our great, great parents or grandparents around, there was one day of rest. And that's if you were lucky. That was Sunday. Uh, the five-day work week is a very modern invention, and you know there's a, a lot of labor laws that change to enable that, but also a mess load of automation and technology that went in. And if you look at like the agricultural industry and the dramatic rise in productivity and the dr- dramatic reduction in workforce there, now people people had to find other jobs. And here, here's the here's the big kicker, right? Um, there's a difference between unemployment and retraining. And if, if automation truly eliminated jobs, you would have to go back to the beginning of the first industrial revolution a couple hundred years ago. And if you drew an, a line on the unemployment percentage, if the, if the Luddites, who are the textile workers opposed to any industrial automation, if the Luddites would have been correct, we'd be at 50% unemployment right now. But you know, with the most recent situation aside, because of it, it had a blip on unemployment, a big, big blip, but a temporary blip, um, you know, unemployment has come way, 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 way down again. Up until that moment in March of 2020, we had the lowest unemployment in recorded human history almost, right? I mean, it was like right down there at the bottom. And, and so what that, what does that tell you? Well, automation, because if automation truly led to unemployment, then we'd have sky high unemployment now after 200 years and three waves of industrial revolutions, but that's not the case. We are, we're sitting here at the highest level of automation we've ever seen in construction. And we have the biggest crisis on labor that we've ever seen in construction. <laughs> so, so what, and crisis meaning we need workers very badly because we have, uh, by, by most estimates that I've read and heard two to three people retiring out of skilled trades for every one person entering. And so we have this massive problem and, you know, people like Stephen Muck at advanced uh, construction robotics who, who created the Tybot, He could not, he's a bridge contractor in, in Pittsburgh, could not find people to tie rebar. So he, uh, he partnered with Jeremy Searock and they formed a robotics company, partnered with a research institution at a university, and they created a rebar tying robot that has computer vision, detects where rebar intersects and ties it. Well, that wasn't to eliminate workers. It was to deal with the fact that he couldn't find them. And so you almost have to flip the arguments on it on its end. You don't want people doing dangerous stuff, boring things, menial things are things that don't add a lot of value because the human brain is still, still for now, and for the foreseeable future, the greatest computer ever invented. And it deserves a task worthy of its capacity. 
And so that's really where I view this entire thing. We are trying to maximize humans. We want to keep them safe. We want to use their brains, want them to think. We want them to add value. We want them to be able to utilize their resources and not do dangerous work, backbreaking work, or mindless work because we have a labor shortage. So we need them doing the highest value task and we need to use robotics wherever we can. And, and that's really, you know, the, you, you, have to, you have to pay attention to, to labor numbers when you're talking about this. And you can't just make a blanket assumption that robots, and by the way, there's software robots and hardware robots, right? I mean, there's a lot of software robots that are automating tasks too um, through a technology called RPA, Robotic Process Automation. And you, you've got to look at, okay, what's going on with aggregate unemployment and what's going on in industry-specific unemployment? And we, we can even observe when major developments hit in the timeline. And did you see an aggregate change across industries? And did you see a specific change in this industry? And you're just, you're just not seeing it. That's the, that's, that's the, the, the reality. reality is look at the last 200 years of employment data and it's, uh, it, it doesn't support the, the argument that, that it's the end of employment as we know it. It's just a change. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a, that's a great point. Let's put a pin in that because I, I would like to come back to that, uh, but we are going to take a quick moment to hear from our wonderful sponsors and we will be back. This episode of the Future Construct podcast is supported by the amazing team at Applied Software. They have solutions for any modern project. Applied Software is on a mission to transform industry by empowering their clients and being the champions of innovation with their real-world expert consultants. They have a comprehensive suite of solutions for AEC, MEP, and manufacturing, and they have a singular focus to help you achieve higher performance. They have software, training, support, consulting, and custom development. Applied Software has you absolutely covered for all of your workflow needs. And BIM Designs is proud to be a client and partner of Applied Software. So visit ASTI.com, that is A-S-T-I.com, and please let them know that Feature Construct and BIM Designs sent you. And we are back. We have so many interesting things. I don't even know where to start to pull that apart, but I, I'd love to, to kind of go back to this notion of doing high value work and, and that, you know, we're, we're not really here to do these rote activities that we are, you know, putting robots to the task and automo- automation to the task. So what are some of the strategies that you've employed at your company and that you're recommending to your clients? Strategies for what? Well, for for really looking at you know how to retrain the workforce, how to make technology a much more positive impact instead of this, you know, this sort of bringer of the dystopian future. Yeah. So first off, it all starts, in my opinion, at the attitude of the top people in the company, the owners and executives. If they make a lot of side comments, and, and of course, I I am a I, dis- I strongly dislike sarcasm, just in general. I, I really, really dislike sarcasm. I think it's a tool of, I think it's a, I think it's a tool of cruelty in general that people use when they, uh, when they want to be cruel without being obviously cruel. And I see a lot of sarcasm around technology and innovation from um, far too many executives in construction companies who really make they'll make a lot of side comments to me and to others like. Well, I'm glad I'm retiring so I don't have to deal with this crap. That's the most common one that I hear. I'm glad I'm done so I don't have to deal with this. 
And that's just a really terrible attitude to have when you're dealing with a company that is looking to its leader to to signal, hey, what's the temperature here in this company on change and improvement? And on the other end of the spectrum, you have some amazing transformative leaders in construction, architecture, engineering that are saying change, innovation, technology is going to be uh, at the core of what we're going to do as a company. But I'll tell you this, I've had a, a big, a big uh, lesson in the last two years on change happening to me that I didn't want. Uh, I, I've always been a huge change advocate. I love it. I, I, I love being an agent of change. I love being an instrument of change. I love innovating and creating new things. We've created uh, three commercial products that have had a reasonable or great level of success. So we created five others that didn't. Um, we've we've done some really cool things in 20 years at JB Knowledge around construction and insurance technology and consulting services and products and our podcasts and the roadshow and the construction tech report. Like all that's fun. And we've we've tried to push the limits of our clients in the industry. But the last two years, my goodness, uh, I had a whole bunch of changes thrust on me that I didn't want. And and I, I tell you, that was really where I got a taste of my own medicine. And I had to really say, you know, I've got to, I've got to take the medicine I've been telling everybody else to take. And that is sometimes you have to accept that this is happening around you and get on board emotionally with it because you're employees. So I think step one is you've got to have leadership that sets big audacious goals and that creates a culture where change and innovation is something they want rather than a culture that is almost like uh, the jock culture from high school, where it's about hanging out with your friends and doing the same thing you always do and making fun of the nerds, right? And, and I was definitively on the receiving end of that equation in high school. You know, I was, I was the, the software nerd, um, even though I, 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 played, I played sports and did all that. Um, I, I really had uh, a tough time um, uh, trying to figure out my place until I came to Texas A&M and I found a whole bunch of people just like me and realized that, hey, this is going to be everything's going to be all right. And so that, so first they've got to set a, an audacious goal. Secondly, um, executives have to create a dedicated staff, dedicated space, dedicated budgets that are, are, are driven towards innovation. People don't innovate in their, well, some rare special people will innovate in their spare time, but you know, anything that you want to happen in your company deserves dedicated space, dedicated staff, dedicated budgets. Think about safety. If you just asked everybody in a construction company to just be safe, just be safe, be safe, but you never hired a safety director and you never put processes in place and you never built a safety lab, would you really be safe? No, not, I mean, you might be a little safe because you created a culture of safety, but you didn't, you didn't manifest that culture into process and people and technology that enforce it. And so that's, that's the same thing with technology and innovation is you got to first set these big audacious goals. Secondly, you got to get dedicated staff space and budgets. You know, then you've got to start putting you know, time into studying problems and learning about lean and how to identify waste and building a process around it. You know, most companies in architecture, engineering, and construction operate off one process, SOMP, seat of my pants. They show up to work every day. They put out the fires. They go home exhausted rinse and repeat. And if you actually have a process for running your business and a process for innovation, ours is a system called EOS that's been totally life-changing. And the other process that we use is, is lean. 
for identifying waste and fixing it. And when you really become a student of a process, you, you, it totally transforms your ability to innovate and get things done and adopt new technology. Other than that, you're kind of a, it's like playing pin the, pin the tail on the donkey, right? You got a blindfold on, you're walking around, you might hurt somebody or you might win. You don't know, you know, cause you're, you're, you're just winging it. I, I love what you said too, because you use the word manifest, but then you said, you know, you don't build the, the structure around it because it's not about just manifesting it. You know, you have to have the vision, but then you have to actually act on the vision and, and people get stuck kind of all along that path. Yep. And, and, you know, these companies are going to self-select pretty soon. This is a, this is a, a blockbuster Netflix scenario on a grand scale that we're headed towards because technology lifecycle now has has become so short and innovation cycles have become so short and and you know companies are can become dinosaurs within a decade or less yeah you know you look at the downfall of several major brands that you and I grew up with um blockbuster kodak uh, the classified ads tower records I mean, do we need to keep going? There's they all a long, saw digital there, coming. They all saw it coming. There's a, there's a long list and uh, history is littered, Sears, right? I mean, history is littered with, with the bodies of companies who, who they actually had time to react to it. And that's the wild thing. When I started writing software, I was about 11 years old. Learned GW Basic in middle school, then then got into Pascal Fortran as him. Yeah, well, you know, I I went to this really great. I was a lucky kid. I, I grew up in Baton Rouge, but I was in the Magnet program, Magnet Gifted Talented GT Magnet thing, and we had software. I had computer science classes in sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, and twelfth grade uh, through the public school system, but it was it was all through Magnet GT engineering stuff. It was amazing. It was like. I, I say it was like fame for nerds. You know, if you remember the movie Fame, where everybody's dancing in the hallways, we were all comparing our our, our like coding. Yes, we were. We actually had coding competitions during our break hours, and we actually would compare graphing calculators. And I mean, it was it was really nerdy. We had no football, baseball, or basketball because the school considered it a distraction to academic success. I mean, that's what that's the school I the schools I went to, middle and high school, and you know we started coding a new language would come out every two or three years. There'd be a book published. You'd have a few years to look at it. You, you know, now we've got a new JavaScript framework every three months. We've got a new coding language every two or three months, new data storage architectures every month or two, new cloud and intrinsic functions every three or four months. I mean, the, the, the amount of stuff that's available results in far less code having to be written, which means you can roll out applications way faster than you used to, and you can build things a lot quicker. Um, but it also means that the pace of competition is, it's pretty brutal. And, and it's coming, that attitude is coming at some level to construction. Now, there's been some recent events when you look at like the downfall of Katera, who raised an incredible billions of dollars to try to bring technology concepts to the construction industry, but they did it in a way that was not financially sound as a business. And so they've tanked, right? SoftBank invested money in them. Same thing with WeWork. WeWork was trying to revolutionize um, the, the building facility owner business. And you know they may pull something out at WeWork. Katera's done. Uh, both of them are SoftBank investments. And you know those are some initial stabs. Someone's going to get it right though. 
and it's going to be like a it's going to be a sea change and it's going to happen. It's going to continue to happen faster and faster. There's already a lot of architects, engineers, and contractors who are incapable of submitting bids now on even public work because they do not have the technical capabilities required in particular around BIM and virtual design and construction. When I was a city councilman, I changed all of our standards. We moved to CM at risk and our CMs had to prove not just that they had a Revit license, but that they had the capability to actually deliver a, a VDC department to work on our project and, and really impact you know, clash and coordination and scheduling and design. Um, and, and it had huge outcomes, but we also had a, a half of the usual suspects that literally couldn't submit a proposal and threatened to sue the city because they thought it was unfair. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. We want technically competent contractors and half of them were not. And that's that's what's gonna continue happening to, to, to folks that don't wanna get with the program. Yeah, well, and it's, and it's, you know, it's forward thinking, you know, on your side, because at the end of the day, we keep talking about smart cities. You can't wire smart cities together, you know, and smart buildings into smart cities unless you have that functional, you know, underlying yeah. digital layer that, you know, is also now going to start to be accessed by this next generation of wearable, you know, yeah. we think mobile is ubiquitous. Where are these wearables hit the market? Like these, so you guys don't even know, but we already, these are the new Apple glasses, the air glasses. <laughs> You're the only ones that have them. <laughs> you know, smart cities are something I'm, I'm particularly passionate about. And I was fortunate enough to get to lead a city of, a, of 125,000 people for, for two terms. And I had car, I really had the support of my city council and my mayor and my city staff. We did so much around smart cities and it was so exciting, but the contractor community was really hard to pull along on this. Um, we moved to an all digital traffic infrastructure. We invested millions upgrading traffic lights, fiber connections to all 78 traffic lights in College Station. We, we took over and controlled them centrally and dropped wait time during football games to get out from Texas A&M from three and a half hours down to an hour and a half using a smart traffic system. We also put into place a completely digital review process for planning and development services. So contractors no longer brought paper in. It was all digital and we cut several days out of every approval because we went all digital on approval. We went and we started leasing out our dark fiber so that developers would have fiber up to the end of their neighborhood. They could lease from us on you know dark fiber and dark conduit. And we cut their cost of delivering fiber way down. We got two providers to come in and bring fiber to home in several new neighborhoods. We, we just did so much around smart cities. We also made all municipal data that was subject to FOIA requests. Um, we put it behind an API so that you could actually hit a public API and gather all the city data and build apps on our municipal data. I mean, it was, it was awesome to see what you could do in six years with a willing government. But the contractors were the ones that were the hardest because we had to get them to where they could submit models to us that we could actually use for our facility management program. Because when I got elected, we didn't even know how many buildings we owned. Not, not only did we not have as-builds, we didn't know how many we owned and where they were. And then we, we, we eventually got it to where we had a full inventory. We, had, we knew what, how many buildings and where they were and what their condition was. And then we started putting requirements in around BIM. I mean, it, it just, it took years, but there's a lot to do in a, in a real smart city that you got to run like 20 initiatives at once and they all take six to 10 years. 
All right. Well, if you ever want to come back on the show and announce your campaign for governor, <laughs> I, I am offering you a forum right now. No, you know, I love Paul. I, I love politics, but, but uh, you know, I enjoyed my service right now. I'm, I'm really enjoying serving at the behest of Governor Abbott uh, on a university board. We have a wonderful construction program at, at, at uh, Texas Southern that we're trying to grow. We have a great aviation program. And uh, being an appointee is great because you don't have to run elections. And I, I, I'll tell you, <laughs> the, the, can, the can, campaigns, campaigns were tough. I, I love building a business and campaigns taught me how to sell. But there's so much to do. You know, there's like there's so many parts that have to go into place. But there's a big shortage of people who are willing to just start doing, even if you don't have it all figured out. Like, honestly, this is how it went. I got elected. I announced a smart city initiative and then I filled the gaps in later. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't I didn't have it all figured out because I knew if I took five years to study it, I'd be out of office by the time I got started with implementation. And and the same thing in a company. If you're in a construction company, sometimes you just have to start collecting data and make a decision on an app. You know, like start using Revit, start using Navis, start, you know, start designing something because there's like there's, you know, excuses are like uh, we'll, just, we'll use the, 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 the phrase. They're like elbows. Right. Uh, pretty much everybody's got them. And, and there's always an excuse of why you can't use BIM. Or there's always an excuse. Oh, well, the project's too small. Project's too big. Project's too short. Project's too long. Not that type of work. And the reality is you can use BIM. You can, you can, you can apply VDC concepts to just about anything you want to build on the planet. But you have to have the desire to do it. And you have to have the willingness to just get started. Yeah. Now, I think that's great advice, too, because I think that's part of it is that you know, I, I can't tell you how many times in my day-to-day work, you know, I'm talking to my team and, and I'm saying, look, we're, we're just going to build this plane while we're flying it. And as a, as a, as a pilot, that probably is terrifying to you, but you know, but, <laughs> it's the truth, but, but, but as a technologist, you know, exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> I do. I would say a better analogy is we're going to build the train while it's rolling because that scares me less. So, you know, the train has tracks and there's no traffic on it. You know, let's, let's build the train while it's rolling on the tracks. So, you know, you have a, fair enough, you, fair enough. you have a, you have a minute minimum number of parts on an airplane that have to be built before you can fly. And so that always, that always, should we even be in the air? No, you shouldn't be in the air right now. I'll tell you, uh, f- flying, you know, I, I know we're, we're running out of time, but flying, uh, if I can just say this to everybody out there, if you're into technology and you're, and you're into geeking out, go to your local flight school and go take some lessons because, uh, it is the coolest thing on the planet. And the other really cool thing is that technology is taking over aviation. I mean, it is taking over everything in the cockpit, everything in air traffic control. These are flying computers. You still have to have a lot of hand flying skills. And I, I fly by hand a lot to, to keep my skills current. But if you're great at technology, uh, you can be great at flying uh, because it is a massive math problem. And uh, it, it's, a, it's a really exciting way to, to express yourself and uh, kind of geek out on something new. And you don't even have to go up in aircraft because the sims are incredible. Sims are awesome. Yeah, yeah. you go into a good yeah. Redbird sim or, I mean, there's a place just south of you in San Marcos, Texas, that manufactures Redbird flight simulators. And they are the coolest sims for general aviation. I mean, really, really, really awesome. And I've flown in a couple of them, uh, flown simulator, and they're full motion, three axis. I mean, they're, they're really exciting. Those are, they're, they're pretty cool. I, yeah. I highly recommend. Yeah. Well, you know, I have infinite time for you, James, but 
Um, we're just going to have to have you back on the show because we didn't even, <laughs> we didn't get to talk about your daughter. Actually, I do want to talk about your daughters. Sure. Are they interested in technology? Are they interested in flying? Are they, I know yes, they're perfect yes. because, you know, as a dad, I know you're going to say they're perfect. <laughs> I am blinded by my daughters, right? I, um, I, I, uh, I adore them to a ridiculous level. And so uh, I have a hard time saying, but, but I, I am, I am someone who uh, believes in coaching, um, you know, coaching your kids every day. And so I do a lot of coaching with them. They, uh, my oldest is, uh, we always called her stone face because she's just, she's really, she can be real serious, but she, uh, she loves sitting up in the cockpit with me. She loves sitting co-pilot. She wants to know what's going on. She loves taking trips. Uh, she loves performing and being on stage and speaking. And, you know, she's got a, a brilliant head and they, they are both extremely tech savvy, but I have surrounded them with technology their whole lives. So if it's AR, VR, if it's holographic interfaces, you name it, they're into it. Um, and, and I wanted them to have a passion for that. They're not passionate for coding. I tried getting them into software development and that's, they're not there like I was. Um, but my oldest is really hardcore into music like me. Uh, my youngest is probably the best candidate for being an architect or a designer. She is a, she's a builder and a thinker. She watches just hours of YouTube videos on how to build things. And then we, we gave her a whole, basically a lab in the house, um, where she just makes stuff. And, and she just has project after project where that she's, she's built it or constructed it. And uh, she's hardcore into Minecraft and she oh, is, yeah. so and she's she, really a builder. She's yeah. She's really a builder. Like I think she'd be great in VDC because she is already crazy good at designing environments in Minecraft. She builds entire planets there. And uh, so I've been really impressed with what they, it's not the stuff that I picked. Like I was into soccer and programming and they're into dance and cheer and, I got my cheer dad shirt. I got it blinged out, you know? Um, and so I, you know, you just gotta, you just gotta geek out on what they geek out on, but uh, you know, and, and try and influence them some. And uh, certainly um, I, I want them to, what I want them, what I want for them is to do something that matters. Right. And uh, right now one that wants to become a, a prosecuting attorney for a district, uh, the DA in in New York. And the other one wants to be a Marine biologist at the, at the Atlanta aquarium in in Atlanta, that's their current career goals, but they're 14 and 11 that could change 20 times. So uh, whatever it is, I want them to be productive and add value. Right. Um, that's the, that, that's what I want them to do. So whatever that is for them. Well, I suspect they're, they're uh, genetically predisposed to do so. So uh, <laughs> I look forward to seeing some pretty great things from them in the future. Nice. So speaking of said future, if you could project yourself, you know, 15, 20 years into the future, and you could bring with you, you know, any service product gadget thing that would just make you personally happy or just make your life better, what would it be and what would it do? Um, anyway, if, in other words, if I could just create or, or buy something that would be invented in the future. And, and I, I, yeah, I mean, sir, I love travel. So my dream has always been Two things from Star Trek, the transporter and the replicator. We're very, you. You, so we're very, very close to replicators, right? I mean, uh, so the 3D printing, 3D printing geeks me out so much. And I own, I own a few 3D printers. I mean, they're, they're great. I love that we can now print things, physical things. That's amazing. Um, but we're gonna, when we get to molecular 3D printing, that's when I really geek out because we can print 
food. I've already eaten 3D printed food. It's cool. I mean, I've already, you know, I've been down this road a little bit. You have 3D printed sushi now. I mean, there's there's some cool stuff out there on 3D printing. So I think a replicator and a transporter. But I think, it, you know, if you think about it, those two are very closely intertwined because if you can 3D print biological organisms, you could technically transport a 3D print of yourself, but then you have to destroy yourself to transport yourself. I'm not sure how that's going to work. So we're going to have to figure out something where it doesn't destroy you to transport you. But I think those two things would be amazing. In lieu of a transporter, I think faster than light travel would be amazing. Of course, Elon Musk is making most of my dreams come true already yeah. because yeah. he's 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 a doer, right? I mean, he's just one who's like, I got to figure it out along the way. Uh, we're going to build the rocket, like build a rocket, you know, and he's doing most of it in Texas, which is make it even cooler. Right. Uh, exactly. He's so, got, you know. he heard the call. So he, yeah, he well, he's a, he's a, out. he's a California textile as well. Right. So he, he exactly, left the, exactly. over here, the, tech, the, 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 the Texas. Um, <laughs> so he, he, he left and came over here too. And it's so cool because, you know, what he's proposing is 30 minute travel around the globe, just using low earth rockets, which honestly, at this point, I think he's going to pull off. And so a lot of that stuff's coming true. So replicator transporter or super fast travel. I'm all about that because I, I want to go to Japan for dinner and come back. Like totally, totally do yeah. that. I mean, yeah. and uh, why, why not, uh, you know, connect, connect the world and, and make it a better place. But uh, that's, that's, that's probably where I would, where, where I would go. I love that. And if you did that, you wouldn't have to 3d print your sushi. You could just yeah. go and get it. Just go get it. Right. <laughs> uh, I would just go get it, but we got to, we got to make we got to make the entire world a safe place to live, and that's that's the the ultimate thing is the whole world should be a safe place to live. You shouldn't have to go to certain parts of the world for it to be safe. You yeah, know? yeah. And I like the idea of like bringing the world together. Just make it smaller yeah. by making it more accessible to yeah. everyone on a global yes. scale. So yeah. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. I do hope you come back and chat with us in the near future. Anytime. And uh, thank you for joining us today. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me.